We're going to be looking at Luke 14, at one of the parables that Jesus tells. Um, but we're going to start. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like this. I don't know if you've ever felt, found yourself in this situation. Hopefully not. Um, maybe you're in a church group or a connect group. It might be here. And someone new turns up, and um, that's great for the first few weeks. But pretty soon you begin to realise that you don't really agree on the big theological terms. Uh, You don't quite approve of their lifestyle. You don't think it matches up with how a Christian should live. Uh, You worry about the friends they keep. Um, You worry about their attitudes towards church even. And maybe you start to worry that they're going to lead others in your group astray. And so you challenge them. You argue with their theology in the meetings. You um, rebuke their lifestyle. Um, you might even bring friends in and harass them together. <laughs> and maybe it works. Um, maybe it works in two ways. Maybe they leave or maybe they change. Well, that's the situation this group of people in Luke 14 find themselves in. There's a man who's not obeying the laws that they obey. He's not treating church or the holy day, the Sabbath, in the way that they'd have it. And he's sticking around with the wrong sort of people, going to the wrong places, and he's teaching people, and people are following him, and they're also being led astray. The problem is that the man they have this issue with is Jesus himself. And that will make you think about their own view of who he should be. And the question is, what sort of God do you think Jesus should be? What sort of person? How do you think he should act? What do you think his rules should be? How should he live his life? They'd clearly got it all wrong. But as we read the passage, I think, keep that in your mind. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a rich ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose for place of honour, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honour, lest someone more important than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, Give your place to this person, and then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, sit in the lowest place. So when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move higher, and you'll be honoured in the presence of those who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said to the man who invited him, When you give a dinner... Or a banquet, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your rich relatives, or your rich neighbours, lest they also invite you in return and you will be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you. 
so you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time of the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please excuse me. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant went and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city. Bring in the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. And the servant said to his master, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. You notice in this passage that Jesus is invited to the house of uh, the ruler of the Pharisees, or one of the rulers of the Pharisees. Um, And it's not a kind invite. It's not that Jesus looked hungry at the synagogue on the Sabbath morning. And it's not that Jesus was one of their friends who they invited um, because they liked his company. No, it's uh, for much more suspect reasons. You see in verse 1, they're watching him carefully. And they're watching him carefully because they've already had several rows with him already. They've already disagreed with him. And it's said in Luke 12 or 13 that they're watching him carefully, harassing him so that they can find fault in something he says. And you see in the passage, in verse 2, it says, Behold, there was a man with dropsy. It's not that he was there as an invited guest. He was just sat there... um, as bait for Jesus. It's not that he was a friend of the Pharisee. Um, You can see that in verse um, 4, because when Jesus heals him, what's he do? He sends him away. And that's not what you do with someone else's dinner guest. I don't come around to your house and say, actually, um, so-and-so who you've also invited, no, I don't want to eat with them, they can go. I finished with their company. No, it's not. That's the host's job. So this man isn't an invited guest. He's just bait for Jesus. And so what's Jesus going to do? Is he going to respond in the way they hope he does? Um, They either hope he heals the man and they can argue with him and find fault with him, or they hope he'll shut up, realize that he's lost this battle and not heal the man. Well, what's he do? Instead, he asks a question. He sits there and says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Well, they're the religious leaders. They're the ones with degrees in theology. They're the ones who know their stuff. If anyone knows that it's illegal to heal on the Sabbath, it's them. But they can't answer. So Jesus heals the man and sends him away. It doesn't say anything more than that. It doesn't say how he healed him what the process was, but he just heals him, sends him away. And you think he might just leave it at that, get on with the meal, ignore it. But he asks another question, and that question is, which of you who say I can't heal the man 
having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. The point of that second question is to show their hypocrisy. It's to show that they've made a rule for him that they wouldn't keep themselves. Because his first question, in a way, is a good question, but in a way it's a stupid question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He knows perfectly well they can't heal the man on the Sabbath or any other day. They don't see healings. Jesus has seen thousands of people healed. God's working in his ministry, and there's God moving and healing hundreds of people. In fact, Jesus starts his ministry in Luke 4 by saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I am here to release the captives, to heal the lame. And that's his ministry. That's the power of God's working through him. And so his first question points out, actually, that they don't have that power. It says that Jesus taught with one, as one with authority, not like them. The second question is to show, actually, that they would do the very same thing if they had the power. If they had a son or even an ox, um, not, not a human being, they would do the work to save their property. Um, if their son fell down for the well, they wouldn't be there at the edge of it going, sorry, son, it's for Sabbath, um, <laughs> keep paddling. Uh, that sort of thing, that's not what goes on. They would run, they'd get ropes. Um, they had a thing called a Sabbath day's journey. I imagine they'd double that to get ropes if they had to. They wouldn't care about those rules. And Jesus has exposed their, their hypocrisy. And so it's no wonder that they keep quiet and don't say anything. But Jesus won't let them go there either. We see here in this passage that Jesus is actually very awkward to have in our midst. He's not making it a pleasant dining experience. They've invited him there to watch him. It said that in verse 1. Now in verse 7 it says, he notices how they chose their places of honour. And so he says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, don't sit down in the place of honour, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. Um, in the culture, the wedding places weren't quite as defined as we have them. Um, ours are all very tidy. You get a little name badge and you sit there and you don't sit anywhere else. In their culture, and I've been to weddings... Um, where the table plan is a lot more fluid. You sort of had to go in and think, where do I fit? Um, And what you don't do is you don't see the groom up there and you don't sit on his right-hand side because sooner or later he's going to say, I've just got married and I was sort of hoping my wife might sit there. (laughs) Um, And you're going to have to go and find a seat by the door. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Um, They are sitting there in their places, they're arguing over the places in the house for selfish reasons. They're trying to get closer to the host. Um, I don't know why uh, they're probably trying to listen into his conversation with Jesus so that they can score points with each other um, while I was sat two places down and I heard everything. 
in the social situation that gives you kudos. And Jesus says you're acting selfishly in this situation. But you'll notice one thing, he's not insulted one of the people there. He's missed out the host because the only person not implicated in that parable is the person who's made the invites. It's the host. He has the place of honour because the place of honour is defined by how close to the host you get to sit. So he turns to him and says, when you give a dinner or a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbours, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Well, what sort of people do you imagine the host here has invited? We know it was the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees, and we know that they were watching him. It's his friends, the Pharisees, are watching him. And there was one poor sick man there, but he wasn't a guest. He was just there to bait Jesus, and he's already gone at this point. So we know that the host has invited this exact list, his brothers, his relatives, his rich neighbours, and he's invited them so that he can have the favour repaid. He's invited them so that he can give the best parties to the right people and have that social kudos given him. And Jesus rebukes him for that. It must have been very awkward. And I don't know if you've ever been at a party like this, where um, someone says the wrong thing and it just goes dead. I imagine it was very much like that. It wasn't a fun place to be at all. So someone pipes up, someone tries to say the right thing. And so he says something quite clever, something quite... um, It's not profound, it's the very opposite, really. Uh, He says something safe. Um, He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread at the kingdom of God. He's changing the subject. He's changing it first from anyone there, the situation there. They're all talking about how you act now. They're all talking about um, dinner politics, um, social climbing, all those situations, things that happen today. And this man's now talking about the future. Blessed is everyone who gets to heaven. It's in the future. He's also saying something Jesus can't argue with. You can't argue with, it's good to get to heaven. It's the safe thing to say. It's also something religious. It's something that will make him look good. Um, Jesus has disagreed with everyone else, and maybe now Jesus will disagree with him. And the parable that we're going to look at is Jesus' response to what he says. Because his statement was on an assumption, and Jesus is going to shatter that. So he says to them, A man once gave a great great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now, in the culture, they had something called the double invitation system. And it was because um, they didn't have timekeeping in the same rigid way as we do. I can say to you, um, it's my birthday, June the 7th. 
I'm having a party at 8 p.m. at my house, and I can be fairly sure that if I gave you that invite, you would know when and where to come to the exact minute, and I could call you late at 7:01. But in their culture, they didn't keep time so strictly. You couldn't say that. So what you would do is give an invite. If it would be quite vague, it would be this weekend. I am giving a party, and when it's time to come, I'll send my servant, and he'll bring you. And this is what's happened here: the man has given this invite to people. He said, "My banquet is on such and such a day. Be ready." And they've all said, "Yes, we will. We'll be ready to come when you send the servant. We'll come." And so, what happens then? They've all said they would come. But when the servant is sent with the message, "Come for everything is now ready," they all begin to make excuses, and they're not just excuses.、Um, I had to、um, yesterday. I should have been at a wedding, but I couldn't get there. It was too far away. It was South Wales, and over six hours on the train, which I find slightly、um, odd because you can get to Paris in five and a half from Wrexham. <laughs> That's time well spent procrastinating instead of practicing this sermon.、Um, <laughs> but I had to write a reply to the invite. I hadn't even said I was going, but still, it's embarrassing to have to say no, I can't come. And still, I imagine I caused some level of offence, even though I had what I thought were quite good excuses. Well, these are not good excuses, and this is not. A rejection of the original invite. This is, I've said I'll come, and now I'm saying I'm not going to come. So let's look at the excuses. The first says I bought a field. I must go and look at it. Please have me excused. Now that's a weak、um, thing to say. I've bought a field. I must go and look at it. Who of you would buy a house without having seen it? Would you buy, spend all those hundreds of thousands of pounds on property without knowing if it had a roof? <laughs> Would you buy a field if you didn't know it wasn't all rocks? You wouldn't. You would have checked the field first. So, either the man's stupid, or he's just made that up. Well, let's give him the benefit of the doubt.、Um, but where's the field going to go over the course of a banquet? It's still going to be there in two days. He can still check the field. He's just making an excuse. He's actually saying, "I don't want to come to your party." I'm thinking of any old excuse, and it's not a very good one. The second applies a similar sort of way.、Um, I've just bought five yoke of oxen.、Um, this is clearly quite a wealthy man because that's ten oxen.、Um, and most farmers would be lucky to have one in that day. Um, I would sort of be like saying, "I've just bought a car. I need to go and see if it's got an engine."、Um, he's again being foolish if he's not lying through his teeth.、Uh, but again, if he's that wealthy, if he can afford ten yoke of oxen, why is he going to check them? Surely, if it's that important to him, he could send someone else. He must have servants of his own. Third. Is also a lame excuse. In,、um, I've just married a wife, therefore I cannot come. 
in the culture and in the Jewish law,、um, you were excused from certain duties. War. You didn't have to go to war if you just married for a year. You got a year off, and that was in case you died. Well, he probably wouldn't <laughs> die coming to the feast, so it is a lame excuse, and it's ruder too because he just doesn't even say please excuse me. He just says I can't come. He doesn't even feel that he needs to merit that apology. And so, what's the host do? He becomes angry, and that's not surprising, really.、Um, if you invite people to something, if you make invites and they say no, I can't come at the last minute when you've spent the money,、um, then that's rude. You're angered by that, and that's perfectly normal, perfectly right.、Um, and this man's been snubbed by all these people. Who maybe even have conspired together? We're not going to go. And so, what's he going to do?、Um, you might think, and it might be the normal response: Well, the servants will eat well tonight.、Um, I've got all the food ready.、Um, I'm not going to let it go to waste. We'll be eating caviar, not cabbage, and、um, it'll be. Don't mention the feast for a few weeks. Um, get through meal times.、Um, don't upset him. He's grumpy. No, that's not how he acts. He's determined that his feast will be a success. And so he says to his servant, "Go out to the streets and the lanes of the city, bring in the blind, the poor, the lame, and the crippled, so that my house may be filled." And the servant says, "I've already done that," and it's still. There's still room, so the master says, "Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in." You see, he shows that he knows that these people won't be ready, so he says, "Compel them to come in." These aren't people who've had time to get dressed for the event. They're not people who expect to be invited. They're not even people who deserve to be invited. He's gone out of the town. There are even people who don't know him, and they'd be surprised. Why are you inviting me? I can't come. And he say, "No, tell them come, and don't let them get away with it. Drag them here if you have to." <laughs> Because he says, "None of those who were invited originally will taste my banquet." We're not told how it went down in the room, but they wouldn't known what he meant by it. You see, the Jews. Had this concept of what they called the messianic banquet, the idea that、uh, the Messiah would come, bring in a new age, and then there would be this、um, age that would end ultimately in God coming again, judging the world, and bringing His people to heaven to enjoy His feast with them. And they'd been alluding to this before, because Jesus says in his first parable, "You'll be、um, rewarded." I've lost it. But he says, "You'll be rewarded at the resurrection of the just." He says that to the man who invited people.、Um, verse fourteen. And the man who 
said, blessed is everyone who will eat bread at the kingdom of God, was referring to heaven, was referring to the fact that those who get to heaven are blessed. And so this term, the banquet, refers in this context to heaven, to God's blessing of his people. And so the first invite that this man makes, if you see it there in verse 16, a man gave a great banquet and invited many. That first invite was the invite made to the Jews, the invite made on Mount Sinai, made to Abraham, made to all those people, come, be my people, and I will bless you. And they'd said, yes, we'll come. They were his people. They were the ones, the chosen ones, the invited ones. Come and I will bless you. But when the second invite comes, when God sends his servant, who is Jesus, to say, come, the banquet's now ready, the time's come, they reject him. And their rejection is because he's not the way they expected it to be. They had their own imagination of what this banquet would look like, what God's servant would look like when he comes. Um, And he's not like that. And so they all make their excuses. They say, about Jesus, he eats with the wrong people. He doesn't obey our laws about the Sabbath. We don't know who his father was. They make all sorts of slurs on his character and they say, in effect, any heaven that you're saying you're bringing about isn't worth going to. We're not giving our time to you. And they reject Jesus and his message for them. And so Jesus says, their place will go to others. Their place will go to those who didn't deserve to come. It will go to the blind, the lame and the sick. And Jesus said earlier on in Luke's gospel, I've not come to call for righteous. I've not come to call those who expect their places to be there. I've not come to those who think they're holy, to those who think they've got the law of God sussed. I've come to those who know they haven't, who know they've messed up. And his message here is actually that still won't fill it. And in fact, I'm going to go further. I'm going to go to the fields and the roads around the town And Jesus is alluding to the fact that he's going to even bring in the Gentiles. And they would have known that this was what he meant. And it would have shocked them. But I think more than that, we need to think carefully about what this means to us and how it applies to us. And I think the first thing is to think carefully about how we think we stand before God because they clearly thought that they were good enough. They clearly thought, actually, that Jesus was one in the wrong. 
They thought they were good enough to get to heaven. They thought they were good enough to please God. And so the message of this parable is don't assume you've accepted the invite just because you go to church and you do the right things. Don't assume that you please God because you've been brought up in a Christian home or you've made a profession of faith once. Don't assume that sort of thing because there's this second invite that Jesus gave to the Jews. And the second invite is that it's all through him. It's he's the Messiah. If you don't come to God through Jesus, you won't come at all. If you don't come the way that he's planned, you can't come at all. There's also a point, don't think yourself too busy for this message of God. Don't think that there's things more important than getting this right, getting the right relationship with God. You see, that's the problem that these uh, two men have. I've just bought a field, I must go and check it, and I've just bought five yoke of oxen. They're too busy for God's gospel. They're too busy. They've got things that are on their mind. Um, it may be, I've just bought property, I'm obsessed with that, or I've just bought this new, um, well, I guess it's the equivalent of a combine harvester. I've got to go and um, get it working, or I'm running a loss here. Um, they're obsessed with business. They're obsessed with uh, the world, with making money, with um, those things. And this man who says, I've just married a wife, is he's too busy for the message as well. He's uh, just not wanting to give the time to go to the feast, not wanting to give the time to accept God's gospel, to put God and his message in the right place. Don't do that. And don't come halfway like these people did. They said we'd come. They said, I'll accept the gospel. But they don't follow it through. Um, I think this applies to things like, even like baptism. Um, Did you know that we're commanded as Christians to be baptised? Um and to take up our cross and follow God. In fact, in the next passage, Jesus says, if anyone doesn't deny himself and follow me, if they don't, he even says, if they don't hate their father, mother, brother, sister, even their own wife and even their own life, and follow me, uh, they're not worthy to be my disciples. The gospel takes your whole life. It's giving up everything of yourself. It's giving up all your choice. It's saying, actually, God, I'll follow where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. And I'll be your servant. And if you want God to be your servant, you've got it all wrong. And that's how these people had it. They wanted God to serve them. They didn't want to serve God. But also don't think yourself too bad for this gospel. Because 
the master of the house who invites people to his banquet says, actually, I'll invite everyone who you would not have invited. I'll invite the people who don't deserve to come, the people who are too bad to come. I won't just invite the people on the streets of the town. I'll go to the people who are in the hedges, the people without jobs, the people without money, the people who aren't important, the people who have lived lives they're ashamed of, the people who are living lives they're ashamed of, the people who don't fit in well in church, who you wouldn't want to be in your connect group. Those are the people that God has come to save. And there's something about God sending his servant, who is Jesus, to send this message. Is that the servant sent to give this message is prophesied about in the Old Testament. In Isaiah, it talks about God's servant. It actually talks about God's servant who speaks uh, with a mouth of a sword that cuts And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's speaking harsh words that are cutting into these people's lives, showing them their sin. But he's also the servant who's carried our sin and our sorrow and our pain and who took it to the cross. And that's because God knows that we can't go to his banquet by ourselves. God knows that we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve his grace. And so he's made a way, and that way is through Jesus. And that way is because Jesus went, he took our sin, he took everything that we owed God, and he paid that price once and for all so that no one can say we don't deserve to eat at the banquet. No one can say we can't go. Because God has invited us. And God's inviting all of us. But God does say that none of those who reject his message, who reject Jesus, his servant, will come. It's the only way to be saved. So get that straight. If you're not a Christian here today, if you're not coming to God through Jesus, You're not coming at all. That's what Jesus says here. If you think it's by any other way, if you think it's because what you do, what you don't do, that makes you right with God, that makes him accept you, he doesn't accept you. He only accepts you through Jesus. And it's free. This also has implications to us who have accepted Jesus' offer. If Jesus is your saviour and you are going to the banquet, if he's pulled you off the streets and you're coming in and you know that you're invited and you're on your way to the banquet, knowing that you're on your way to the banquet should affect the way you live your life. There's odd wording in... um, verse 7 it says now he told a parable to those who are invited it's barely a parable really it um, doesn't really have a storyline and parables would tend to have a storyline 
I think that's partly because um, it's connected to the second parable in a way that you could miss. It says when you're invited to a great feast, when you're invited to a wedding, don't take the place of honor, take the lowest place so that you'll be exalted. And then Jesus tells the parable of the wedding banquet. And those who have accepted, who are going, should show it in how they live their lives by taking the lowest place, by serving one another. And that's how we show the world that we are invited to the banquet, by being humble, by living our lives for God. And so we're to live for the banquet. We're also made God's servants. We don't serve. We don't have a God who becomes our servant. Actually, in many ways, he does, and we don't deserve that. But he's not going to do our bidding. Jesus saves us and serves us by going to the cross, taking the lowest place, humbling himself. But he doesn't do that to give you everything you pray for, every whim. He's not there at your beck and call. He doesn't think you're more important than him. It's his plan of salvation, not yours. And so we become his servants. And what do God's servants do? They invite. God sends his servant out to invite people to the banquet. And so we're sent to invite others to come to the banquet to enjoy God's presence, to come, become his children, come to the banquet. And we should do that with joy. We're not inviting to a funeral. Um, We're not inviting to um, the eternal prayer meeting um, at Chester Street. It would be lovely if it was... um, Actually, that would... That's a bad illustration. I've just shown my simple nature. Um, yeah. Um, I'll be repenting at the front later. Um, come to the prayer meeting. It's lovely. <laughs> I'm really sorry. You need to have a word with Rupert and Fleur. Yeah. Sort it out with them. Yeah, I will do later. Sorry, Rupert. Still pray for uh, Judah and come tonight. Um, I can see everyone who's here, so uh, no excuses. Um, Maps on the website, I hope. Um, Where was I? (laughs) In a hole. So close, so near the end. (laughs) We're to invite others to God's grace, to God's pleasure in us that he has invited us to enjoy him forever in heaven. And so I'd like to close and pray. Father, thank you that you have invited us to your great banquet to enjoy you forever. And more than that, we're to enjoy your presence now. You've brought in your kingdom invited for worlds to come and enjoy your goodness. Father, please make us people who live for you. Make us people who want you, who want to serve you, 
want to enjoy you and your presence, not expecting you to grant us our every silly wish, but knowing that you have bought us at a great price, at the price of your own son sent the cross for us, so that we can enjoy you and enjoy telling others about you. Please make us your servants. Make us people who obey your words, people who enjoy your word, people who want others to know your message, your message that they can also enjoy you and enjoy everything that you give us. Amen.